So the theme of this prayer is that the Lord would establish His church in dark times when it's very hard to see that the Lord is present, has not abandoned His people, and that He is good. And that is the theme of our message in this second part of our series on Acts. We have not yet started to get into the book of Acts. We're still in Luke chapter 24. But before we get there, we'll be in Acts next time, starting in two weeks. Um, But before we get there, I would ask you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6. Because the Lord has been at work in history, especially when things looked bad, for centuries and centuries. And he has had no trouble accomplishing his purpose, even in a world that is stricken with much sin. 2 Kings chapter 6. SKC, Samuel's, Samuel King's Chronicles, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 10. This is going to be a call to ask us, together as a congregation, to, to pray and earnestly seek that the Lord will open our eyes to that which our natural eyes cannot see. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 10. Um, Let me summarize the previous verses. There was a prophet, his name was Elisha. He was in Israel. And uh, Israel was at war with Syria, the country to the north of theirs. And the, the Lord kept showing the prophet Elisha the military plans, strategies, and specific battle movements that he intended to make and told his, uh, told his commanders in their secret councils. And then Elisha would send word to the king of Israel, don't go there, that's where their army is coming. And so they continually avoided conflict after conflict. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Okay, on the ancient battlefield, you had foot soldiers. They had spears, they had swords, they had arrows, maybe other heavy equipment. But if you could put those soldiers on horses, they would have the potential to dominate the battlefield as they struck more forcefully and from above. And then if you put those soldiers in metal chariots, so basically they're behind this giant moving shield on three sides, and you give them whatever weapon, an arrow or or whatever, and then you pull those by horses. If if chariots pulled by horses, armored chariots protecting their 
uh, uh, those, the drivers and the, the fighters in them are being pulled by horses into the enemy army of foot soldiers, the enemy army of foot soldiers has very little chance of success on the battlefield. So here you have Dothan. I was trying to figure out the population of Dothan last night, and all I found is that they think they know its location, and it's a big hill in modern Israel called Tel Dothan or something. Um, so there's this city, it's on a hill, it's, it has no hope of survival as the enemy army comes by night, cuts off all routes of escape, and surrounds them. There's no chance Elisha or anybody in the city is going to live when they give the order to attack, right? And so Elisha is here, and he's got his, uh, his, his helper, his, his servant, Verse, um, verse 15, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out. Just imagine this. This guy wakes up early, he leaves the little house probably behind walls, and he goes out and, he, uh, and, and if there's a wall, maybe he climbs up on it and looks over it, or if there's no wall, that's an even more hopeless situation. But either way, it's a great army, so it's 100% hopeless. There's no chance of escape. And he goes out, and instead of like, birds chirping and, you know, maybe a rabbit over there or something and the wind blowing on the grass. Instead of that, there's this great army with, with uh, troops mounted on horses and in chariots completely encircling the city. Imagine the fright and the sense of doom this young man experienced in that, in that moment. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? There was absolutely nothing to do. There's, there's no way to answer that question. I mean, you can surrender and get killed, or you can not surrender and get killed. There's no way out. And he said, without missing a beat, do not be afraid. What a ridiculous thing to say viewing this situation through the eyes of man. He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What does that mean, horses and chariots of fire? What is this? <laughs> yeah, you have the armor and the horses and you have f fireball weapons, right? So, and what? Yeah, they one-up them. Yeah, they weigh more than one-up them. In the Old Testament, there are several times when God sends an angel... How many angels on horseback? How many angels in chariots? An angel. And the angel um, eradicates the entire besieging army, and not a man is left. And, for example, the people wake up, and they're no longer being besieged. This is not the first, nor is it the last time this has happened in history, and specifically in the history of the people of God. Why they need fiery chariots and why they need fiery horses, I don't know. But God sent in the cavalry and everything. This is an army of angels of the Lord, invisible to the natural eye, 
Yet, when Elisha prayed that the servant's eyes would be opened, he saw what we cannot see. He saw that the Lord guards and defends his people and that nothing can take us out of the Father's hand. Now flip over, please, to Luke chapter 24. Last week, we read the chapter. We're going to read it again, and I have a question for you. I want you to find the theme. There's a theme of Luke chapter 24, and it's repeated in in different phrases and ways, and you have to find it. And as soon as we finish reading it, I want to ask you what it was. Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. Whose tomb? Jesus' tomb. Last week, we camped out on the verse, but we had hope. All the hope that the disciples had that Jesus was going to amount to anything like a leader or a victor, all of their hope was completely lost. And they remembered that a few days ago, we still had hope. And now they were only remembering that they had had hope, and they had none left. Jesus is dead. He told them what was going to happen. He pretty clearly told them, but sometimes our eyes are kept from recognizing his plans and purposes, and he has to draw near to us afterwards, remind us, and open our eyes to understand what he's doing. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. And like, they totally don't get it. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered the words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. They, their eyes were kept from recognizing the Lord Jesus. Here are these women who have financed their, their, uh, their discipleship. They've financed their travels through Israel and Jesus' teaching ministry going from town to town and ultimately to Jerusalem. Like, there are these people who have cooked their meals. They have paid for their food and lodging. They have been with them. These, are, these should be some of the most trusted people in their lives to whom they owe a great debt of gratitude. And these women come, and these guys, they're like, that's just a You're just making up some kind of idle tale like you had too much time on your hands and so you had to make up a cool story. Their level of disbelief is astonishing. They should have trusted them, but sometimes that's us, isn't it? But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, 
he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Like, how did the linen cloths get left by themselves? If somebody had taken the body to, you know, uh, start to publish a hoax, oh, Jesus rose from the dead, just as his disciples said, or whatever, or just as he said, you know, they would have probably taken the whole thing, but it's evident that he himself took off his own shroud, or the angels helped him, and he took the time to fold it up and lay it there. And Peter looked in and saw it folded up. Like, you don't make your bed unless you do it on purpose, you know? If you have kids, and you go into your kids' room, and they're like blankets and stuffed animals and stuff strewn everywhere. You, you know, like, something happened. Somebody was there. But when they make their bed, if you're a parent of young children, it's always very impressive. And you're like, ooh, they're growing up. This looks great. Like, this was a very deliberate act. He went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. When they were t while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of, those, uh, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And then what does Jesus do? He's like, well, actually, it's all true. He says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Because all of the Jewish scriptures point to and are in fact about Christ. They were written by him and for him through the Holy Spirit, for his glory and to reveal him. That's why the end of the Bible is called Revelation, because it's it's the last, final, and fullest revelation of Jesus Christ. So they did not see that coming. This idea of we're going to suffer and blessed are the meek and blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are you who mourn now. You will be comforted. And blessed are you when all men say nasty things about you and persecute you without cause for my name. Like that was like the... That was like 
pretty much his first big public sermon, and his disciples are there, and he calls them up on the mountain, gathers them around, gives them the Beatitudes. And I think they're like, what? What did we sign up for? And here, at the end of it all, or rather, as we get into the book of Acts, the beginning of it all, the continuation of all that Jesus had begun to do and teach, here he explains to them that it is through many trials and tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. And they should have gotten that, but that's really hard to get. We, we struggle to accept this most basic truth of the Christian faith. But if our Lord should suffer on our behalf, who am I to expect that I should have a life free of suffering? I guess I would like to be like my Lord. So they drew near to the village where they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. You can't travel at night, there are bandits. So he went in to stay with them. While he was at, while he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. So their eyes were open that whole time, and they were talking and looking at him, and they saw his face, and yet the whole time they were kept from recognizing him, the opening of their eyes was a supernatural thing that God had to do that they couldn't do for themselves. They were really trying to follow him and track with him and understand all these things. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. What is the breaking of the bread symbolic of the breaking of Christ. And in the breaking of the bread, they discerned him. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? You see, suffering does one of two things to us. Disappointment in the Christian life does one of two things to us. Either it leads us to doubt, and all of us have gone there, or maybe you're there now, or it leads us to dependence. And God is trying to bring us into the reality of who he is and of his goodness, his ability, and his love for us, of his sovereign plan that is being worked out in all the world without fault or without failure. And for us to see him rightly, we need dependence. We need meekness. We need poorness of spirit. We need a mind to say, ah, oh, thank you, when we're persecuted and, and harmed and spoken of harmfully for, for his sake, because we know that we are participating in a mysterious way in the sufferings of Christ, being joined with him and becoming like him. It's, it's suffering that leads to dependence, or it's suffering that leads to doubt. We need God to open our eyes 
to perceive him in his glory, to understand the Lord is here and he's doing something that he started ages ago and he will finish what he started. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not withstand it. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Right? So they had the disciples that were walking on the road to Emmaus, like trek back all these seven miles and it's late night, you know, it's after dark, they're risking their lives and they get back and they're like, we saw Jesus. And the 11 and the women are with them are like, yeah, he just appeared to Peter. And then, and then Jesus comes, boom, and appears to them. And I guess he flew, traveled easily that whole distance while the disciples had to walk the whole way from Emmaus. And, and then all of a sudden, what's their response to seeing him when they have already begun to have their eyes opened? Their immediate response is, yes, you're back. Great. Let's get on with the building the kingdom of God and all that. And they're like, you must be a ghost. And they're scared, right? This is us. This is us again and again. We need to call out to God to open our eyes to see his glory. I thank you to the worship team um, and the songs that were chosen this morning. Like the themes and the songs so clearly fit this scripture. The Lord does this all the time. So he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. I think they thought they were going to put his hand like right through them like he was some sort of holographic projection before that was invented or something. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. It was the living proof that he had suffered just as he had said. The nail marks were still in his feet and in his hands. And while they... And well, they freaked out with joy. And they're like, then it is true. And it's you, you're back. And while they still disbelieved, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, you guys have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. And I can just see these guys watching him who they still are having a hard time wrapping, around their, wrapping their minds around like, Christianity is true. My faith isn't dashed on the rocks of reality. Like he's, he's eating, and they're watching him eat, and they hear him chew, and maybe he needed a napkin, like really normal human stuff. And, and in that, they're like, okay, so it's all real. Sometimes he condescends to our level when we disbelieve and when we doubt. In fact, he does that again and again. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And beginning with Moses and all... Wait, hold on, I lost my place. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer 
and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, and here's where we prepare to transition into Acts, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Remember how last week we read that he had told them, unless I go away, like I'm not going to send the counselor, the helper, the, the Holy Spirit. It's to your advantage that I go away. And now, here he's preparing them for the fulfillment of this promise, which was also promised through the prophets uh, by the Father. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And here is the crescendo and the end point of this passage. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Here it is. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So verses 26 and 27, if we can go there real quick. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory, enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Um, And then look at verse 31, if we can flip there. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and simultaneously he vanished from their sight. And then in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So what's, what's the theme of this whole chapter? Shout it out or raise your hand. He continues to show them what's going to happen and what's supposed to happen, and then they doubt every time. What else? And he comes back to affirm and reassure them every single time. What else? Their eyes and minds have to be opened. Here are people who are just like us, and they've had more in-person teaching with Jesus himself than we have, because, you know, we have the Holy Spirit. But, I mean, you know, they're seeing his face, right? These are people just like us, and their eyes and minds have to be opened. Are they Christians already? Yes. And are we? Yes. I hope so. And, and do our eyes and minds then have to be opened? Yes. Why? Don't we see enough already? This is like our constant thing that we get to. We get to, to doubt, we suffer, and instead of discerning the glory of Christ in our suffering and in His, we, we doubt, instead of being made meek and sanctified through suffering, we, we disbelieve, and we continually get to this place where we think we have enough of Him, or where things are so bad that we can't see Him at all. As we go into the book of Acts, I would ask each of you um, to take time to pray to the Lord that He opens our minds to understand this scripture, that he raises our expectations for what the Lord is about to do 
and has been doing, and that he joins us into his mission with greater anointing and power, power both to see him and power to do the work of the ministry while he protects us from, we're going to see the repeated pattern of opposition and persecution against the church. And the result of the opposition and persecution in the book of Acts is always that the gospel spreads and the church grows. Contrast verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Contrast that with verses 52 and 53. 52 says, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. That's what God is trying to get you to. And that's what we need to earnestly pray and ask him to take us there. Because it's very hard to stay there and life happens and we, we, we harden our hearts and our minds don't perceive the glory and the work of God. In John 17, 24, Jesus prayed, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to walk on streets of gold, to live in a heavenly mansion, to, to may be with me where I am so that I can embrace them and, and take away all of their suffering and their fears. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I desire that they may be with me where I am. What's the best thing we could ever hope for? When people think of heaven, we think of no more suffering. We think, we think perhaps of seeing him and enjoying his presence. Jesus knows, Jesus who knows all things, knows that the one thing that we need is to see his glory. And that's exactly what he prays for in John 17. He says, Father, I desire that they may be with me where I am. Why? So you can get your heavenly reward. I desire that they may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. Because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Approach the book of Acts with that same prayer in mind, that God would give us faith to see what he's doing and not hardness of hearts. The chief thing we want to see is the glory of God. And indeed, there is nothing that satisfies like seeing Jesus and being empowered to know God with our eyes and our minds open, and we have to pray for it. I don't want Jesus to have to rebuke me so often at my hardness of heart. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether Jesus just spoke on his own authority, some guy. What is the number one thing that keeps us from knowing that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God? Shout it out. Sin? Sin? Unbelief. Doubt, unbelief, hardness of heart, fear, and suffering. 
Here, Jesus says in John 7, 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know. Do you have doubts about your faith? Do you have doubts about the Lord? Do you have doubts about God's love for you? Do you have doubts about God's ability to continue the work that you, you saw him start in you? It is in being willing to do God's will that we come to know and perceive God. Repentance leads to faith and life and sight. And only God can open our minds and give us the repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. Father, your servant James said, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault or without reproach. We pray that we would be those who, who start by praying, our Father, your will be done. We pray that you would transform our hearts and renew our minds in being willing to serve you no matter what you call us to do or where you call us to go, and even to serve one another together, which is often hard because sometimes it's hard to get along and to track together. So we pray, Lord, that you would increase our faith and our love, and primarily that you would increase our willingness to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.